think that that is for me something that is really important to hold and create um, spiritual spaces where folks can have different types of beliefs, can be um, calling in and feeling small and calling in for support to a variety of different um, types mm. of gods, goddesses, spirit guides, ancestors, um, whoever it may be, but that we could be in community together um, as we're practicing regardless of what our beliefs are. This is the Empowered Spirituality Podcast, the podcast about inclusive spirituality. Empowered Spirituality is all about connecting and aligning to your own higher self. All religions, spiritual practices and beliefs, sexual orientations, gender identities and expressions are welcomed and celebrated here. I am your host, Samantha Nagel, owner of and coach at Empowered Spirituality, LLC. Every Wednesday, I will share a guided meditation practice, and every Thursday, I will share inspirational teachings or interviews with people with different spiritual practices, beliefs, and opinions. Come every week with an open mind, taking what you like and leaving the rest. Welcome to Empowered Spirituality. As I began the journey of shifting my career to a job that aligned with my values and beliefs, having an education in health coaching has been transformational. Through the Institute of Integrative Nutrition, you can become a certified health coach to empower your relationship with food, health, and wellness, live your dreams, earn while you learn, and embark on a new path. Join the global community of like-minded change agents who are here to empower, inspire, and motivate you to create the life you've always dreamed of by clicking the link in the show notes. And by doing so, you'll receive $2,000 off tuition when you pay in full or $1,500 off tuition if you choose the payment plan option. Or you can mention my name, Samantha Nagel, spelled N-A-G-E-L. Discover how to take a holistic and nourishing approach to health and wellness today. I'm joined with Bex Mui, she, her, who is a biracial, first-generation, queer, cis-femme consultant committed to the work of LGBTQ plus affirmations at the intersection of equity, spirituality, and sexual wellness. A spiritual organizer and founder of House of Our Queer, Bex believes that a spiritually grounded approach to the work of LGBTQ plus advocacy is increasingly needed in our country. An educator and facilitator, Bex has presented on anti-racist LGBTQ-centered advocacy at the local, state, and national level. Wow, what an amazing bio. Bex, welcome. Thank you so much, and thank you for having me. Thank you for coming. It's been such an honor to chat with you online and to watch the House of Our Queer videos. Um, and I'd love to start there if that works for you. I'd love to hear about how House of Our Queer got started. Sure thing. Um, House of Our Queer is my latest project, currently living on Instagram. Um, and it is a spiritual play space, as I call it. 
Um, it really started because I have been doing um, LGBTQ plus advocacy, you know, personally and professionally for most of my adult life. And um, mm -hmm. what I've noticed in focusing so much on social justice work, um, at least for myself, was feeling that there was something missing in terms of self-care um, in order to continue to do solidarity work and advocacy. Um, I also needed a way to fill myself back up. Um, long times often called like self-care, if you will, in the community. And I just wasn't finding the kind of self-care that would make the work sustainable. And so I launched House of Our Queer um, just January of this year. It's really a newer project um, as a way to both hold myself accountable to some of the spiritual ritual I wanted to build in um, to, and to create some of the community that I was looking for. Uh, oh, you make such a good point about accountability. Because um, I, you know, I've always been meditating on and off, but it's very easy to slip. I'm a near meditation teacher. It's, <laughs> it makes it a little bit harder to slip up. So I love that you mentioned having that accountability for yourself as well. Yeah, absolutely. It's been a big part of it. I told myself when 2021 started and I had the experience that I think a lot of folks shared was feeling like what happened to eight months of the past year and mm -hmm. what happened to you know, not wanting to have um, the next year arrive and feel um, like I wasn't able to keep track of time in the same way. And so I really, part of it was wanting to find new ways to mark time in a spiritually grounded and to want to do that in community. And so that's why there are queer church offerings every Sunday. And I mark them um, saying, you know, the first week of July, the third week of July, those kinds of things in order to mark that time. And also one of my practices is following the moon. So in mm. queer church, it also follows um, when the moon is building and becoming full, which is a great time mm. for building in our lives and thinking about manifesting. And then when it's um, shedding and getting waning and um, encouraging us to kind of release and inventory things that we don't need to hold. Mm, how beautiful. Um, there was actually an episode a couple before this one where we talked about cyclical living. Um, and I often time kind of what I'm going to be going through through the month, either to my menstrual cycle and or to the moon cycle, uh, which has not synced up quite yet. <laughs> um, but I'd love to hear more about how you um, began syncing up with the moon. I think that's very interesting. Sure, absolutely. Well, all of my spiritual practices build on um, my cultural identities and my experiences in this lifetime and mm. I'm Chinese and Polish and I'm from a really small town like off of Cape Cod and um, I was raised Catholic and um, my on my mother she's like Polish immigrant Roman Catholic style Polish mm. and Catholic and so um, a lot of that is how I learned ritual and how I learned um, celebrating and marking time in community um, and the benefits of that. And although I had my own journey of um, being very involved with the Catholic Church and then being in a pain place when that no longer served or fit me um, as a queer person, um, I also after time and over time um, was able to really look back and see 
parts of that ritual and the things around that community and that belief system um, that really do continue to benefit me. And so I've also, I think as a biracial person, I've also always had some space in everything I do so that there is um, a community and I am somewhat in it and also somewhat outside of it. And I think that is um, the way of biracial uh, experience. And one, although there's you know, challenges that come with that, one of the benefits is being able to navigate um, within and outside of communities to find things that work for me. And so it's also um, raised Buddhist and my father practices Buddhism. Um, I'm first generation American on his side. And so even when I was in my most strict Catholic uh, practices, there was always some space um, in my personal family and in myself for, um, for other ways of being, for other ways of approaching um, kindness, gentleness, community, um, wrestling with ourselves and who we are. And that's a really long answer I now realize I've launched into, but in <laughs> order, uh, I do, the moon for me is both a part of um, Buddhist and Chinese practices. The lunar calendar is really important to um, Chinese culture and our history and part of um, part of my spiritual practices around the moon have to do with that. Um, and the other part is um, around witch year practices. I'm also raised mm -hmm. in Massachusetts outside of Salem. And so there's always been for me an understanding of femme divine, of, um, of kind of even Catholic archetypes as like OG witches, like having mm -hmm. Eve and understanding, you know, the power of um, like the power of, of femme magic and I'm a part of my my moon practices involve astrology and involve tarot um mm. and and kind of pin on that as well mm. oh what a beautiful answer and I have to um comment that I've heard you use the word community so many times um and I so I heard that in the church that, and, and for other people as well, it can give you a great sense of community, but it doesn't always resonate with you in the long term. And I know that a lot of people do feel very saddened when they leave the church uh, or any kind of community that doesn't work because then they feel so lonely. Um, so I'm curious if you could just talk about the importance of community and how you found your own community. Absolutely. I do say that so much. And that is, um, I call myself a spiritual organizer and, um, that to me is community organizing. I just, it's not local uh, in the same sense of how we used to think of community or how I was raised to think of community as the folks I am physically in the closest distance to so that we can all mm. like, walk and get to the same physical building um, to practice together. And, you know, that is having that idea or being raised in a place where um, the church was a community center, if you will. It was not just where we learned our Sunday lessons and where we, um, you know, went every Sunday um, for mass, it, but also, you know, where we had our fairs, where we had our mm. celebrations, where we, you know, gathered together um, to mark time and have holidays together. And that experience is something that I've brought with me into every community um, I've been a part of. And when I left the church and, and was in the larger pain place, for me, the LGBTQ plus community, the queer community, mm -hmm. and that really was the space for me and the folks that saw me and that held me during that toughest um, pain place time um, and is part of why I went into social justice advocacy. Mm -hmm. That's okay. 
Yeah. Um, and you mentioned that part of why you left the Catholic Church was because of your identity as an LGBTQ plus identified person. Um, and I know that uh, it's really challenging to find a church as a queer person. And I think it's so beautiful that you have that space online. Um, can you speak to finding your spirituality after being taught that part of your identity was, quote unquote, a sin in some churches? Yeah, absolutely. I think it's like most organized religions um, still yeah. hold like homophobic and transphobic and cis normative beliefs. And so one of the reasons that I started um, spiritual organizing and that I'm so excited to be building House of Our Queer um, is to kind of create that space. That's not saying um, inclusion is enough. Uh, it, it isn't mm. for me personally. Um, I feel like a lot of the advocacy I do is institutional advocacy, and I hold a lot of space for understanding that churches are not very different than other institutions in our society, that yeah. um, like our education system, which is my primary work, and like our medical system, like our government, like these, these um, are things that we're working on in every institution in our society. And at the same time, I think there is something really important about and precious and separate about religious institutions because they do hold um, something so precious, like our faith, our beliefs, the mental health implications around us and telling someone yeah, who, if who they are and how they're building their lives, their relationships to their bodies, their relationships to others, um, if that essentially isn't okay, or they're asking them not to follow yeah. their intuition, but to follow, you know, other types of things that can be really challenging. Um, and so that is just one of the reasons for me personally that I haven't um, found a particular institution that fits for me. Although I do know there's a ton of work going on in the area and there's so many LGBTQ people who are um, have found the right institution for them in many different religions and wonderful, happy for them. Um, but for me, I think also, like I mentioned, being um, just being biracial, being Chinese and Polish, being raised both institutionally and without institution. You know, my father is very adamant that Buddhism is not a religion to him, mm -hmm. that it's a way of life, that it is um, not within institutions, that and he has his own practices around that. So I've just always had um, that type of space um, mm -hmm. in my spiritual practices. And I think that that is for me something that is really important to hold and create um, spiritual spaces where folks can have different types of beliefs can be um, calling in and feeling small and calling in for support to a variety of different um, types mm. of gods goddesses spirit guides ancestors um whoever it may be but that we could be in community together um, as we're practicing regardless of what our beliefs are Mm. Oh, what a beautiful answer. Thank you so much, Bex. And you meant, uh, I love what you said about how religion is an institution and a lot of your work is advocacy and in institutions. And you mentioned education is your primary one. So I would love to hear about the work that you've done around that. Sure. Yeah, I was a teacher for a long time. And so a lot of the work I did was within my own classroom, the school systems mm. I was a part of, and then eventually the districts, the states, and then nationally, just looking at these systems um, that run across our country and working towards um, most of my work is support for educators and administrators who are trying to make more LGBTQ plus inclusive classrooms. Um, inclusive mm. curriculum, safer spaces like GSAs, 
um, club or student clubs. So um, the work I do as an LGBTQ and equity consultant is um, my professional practice of uh, ministry, I will say, like it feels to me like my own ministry of just meeting with people, meeting with organizations. I also work with educational organizations and also just and companies and organizations that are also doing this work, um, mm. but just learning where they are in their journey towards equitable practices for queer and trans folks and helping them to move farther along in depending that might mean resources, that might mean trainings um, or different types of support. Mm, wow, thank you so much for the work that you're doing. Um, did this start because you were a teacher or how did you start to follow this passion of yours? One of the reasons I started this is that when I, the college I went to, I was a part of a social justice program. And um, so as I was learning to become a teacher, as I was learning about education, I was also learning about um, systemic oppression. I was learning about race and identity. I was learning about culturally competent practices. Um, and so that work for me has always been linked. And so it's what I brought to my teaching. Um, I also, my master's is in, um, it was up from Bank Street. And so it's kind of progressive education is the larger topic. But the idea mm. is, in my teaching is um, creating a space where young people can learn. Or you're not saying, I know this, I am the teacher and the keeper of education and knowledge and mm. you learn it because I'm telling you. And so both of those things um, really helped me so that when I was in schools and I was um, realizing that it was challenging to be out as an educator, when I was facing you know, discrimination, when I was um, noticing that the teaching I was doing wasn't representative of myself in a variety of ways and wanting to, and, um, wanting to make that change. And so that's sort of always been the, the work I've done. And then when I left the classroom, I did that work nationally for a few years before, um, before now doing it on my own. Mm, how has that been to do this on your own now? It's wonderful. Mm. Um, I really love being able to choose the projects that I focus on and mm. to work with the um, companies and the people and the organizations that um, are seeking me out. And um, being able to have a spiritual approach to this work is really important to me. I um, I think of this, like I mentioned, like as ministry, as very aligned with the spiritual offerings that I'm um, providing for the queer and trans community. Um, trying to help folks to meet their needs in whatever space they're in. I would also um, work with uh, religious organizations as well. And I think that there's so many folks who are wanting to create these spaces, but if you're not coming from within the community, um, yeah. it's really hard to bridge the gap or it can, be, it can be hard to start. And so um, I really love being able to um, find spaces and um, help to create the spaces that where the folks in my community can thrive. Mm. And you mentioned um, earlier that you needed to create and be in a space where self-care in the advocacy that you're doing was sustainable. And I'm curious how you deal with burnout because this is really heavy work that you're doing. And I'm sure that at times it can even be discouraging as much as it can be rewarding. So I'm curious how you navigate burnout and self-care. 
Yeah, it's in such an important question. And like I said, that was one of the reasons that I made the shift to mm-hmm. spiritual organizing in addition to um, more advocacy focused work. Um, when I'm personally um, working on House of Our Queer as work, when I am giving queer church and, and when I'm determining um, what I'm going to say, all of those things are part of my own rituals and practices that are filling me up. So I would also, I find when I'm holding space and working one-on-one with folks in ways that are um, around their spiritual journeys that are helping to um, fill that space up for them, it also kind of lifts me up as well. So Mm. I think for me, um, being able to bring back a little bit more of the one-on-one and more personal and group work to this advocacy versus a lot of the work Mm. I was doing was kind of looking at curriculum, was working on policy, was looking at um, larger, you know, national grants and things like that. And Mm. while that work is really critically important, I wasn't finding that it was filling me up in the same way. Um, also, I've made a shift in my own work more towards affirmation. And so while I was, a lot of the times when I was doing advocacy, it focuses on um, a deficit model. There's a, mm. there a lot of research, and it's it's critically important to understand um, how severe it is, the discrimination on um, hate crimes and the mental health advocacy that is needed to, to meet particularly folks in the LGBTQ community that have multiple marginalized identities. So queer folks of color, particularly black and indigenous queer folks, looking at the supports for um, queer disabled folks, like all of that, it's very important to have um, statistics and for research to be done. For myself personally, I started to feel like the boogeyman of uh, Mm. queerness. So if I was the only LGBTQ person in a conference, in a space working with folks, um, coming around and also saying, here's these negative things about our community. This is why you should care about us because we're in trouble um, and we're in need. You know, that didn't, so that wasn't feeling connected for me and making the shift towards providing more grounding and affirmation for the community versus fighting and um, so strongly against folks that are, um, not aware or in opposition for whatever reason that shift has been such important so important for me um, at least at this stage in it Mm, thank you um and i know that a lot of the work that you do is to you do a lot of consulting work is that right yeah okay um so what are the things that you would advocate for a space to be more inclusive it depends on the space. Um, one of the things I would advocate for if someone is, for example, you know, creating a group or is looking at their practices um, is to reach out to someone like me, to reach out to someone within the community who um, is able to look at what are the policies, what are the practices, what does the physical space look like, what is the language that you're using when you're talking about participants or um, community members, and to have someone um, look at that work to see what are the ways that language and um, and again, the physical space can be shifted to be more inclusive. 
Mm, that makes sense. And um, maybe about 10 minutes ago or so, you mentioned the phrase that being inclusive is not enough. And I wanted to check in and see what you meant about that. Yeah. So, and I will say it's not enough for me personally. I think that um, mm. there are many LGBTQ people who have to, who have their own decision-making around what faith-based um, communities feel aligned with them. Mm. Um, and that is, and for a lot of folks, depending on what their faith structures are and what their beliefs are, it is enough. And that there's nothing, there's no judgment around that. Um, I'm just saying for me personally and for um, some folks it isn't. And what I will say, the difference is um, in an inclusion, an inclusive space, there is a system, there is a norm, there is um, practices, there's the language we use, there's who we're talking about, and there's who we're in community with. Um, and those are often based on a norming and a centering of heterosexual people, nuclear families, in sense, and um, cis cisgender normative or like not transnormative practices, places, beings, holidays, papers, yeah. policies, all those things. And so, and inclusion means that when it is a certain time or at a certain place, we say, yes, you may come, you're, you're welcome. Like we won't say mm -hmm. anything if you come, we won't say anything negative to you. Even, you know, when we see you, we'll be like very excited and we'll like welcome you here. Um, but it's not the same as having a centered space. And mm. as the community is by LGBTQ people for us. Um, and so everything, all of the rituals and practices and um, faith and conversation is rooted in our understanding, our practices, how we move through the world, how we experience time, um, those kinds of things. And so there's just a difference between those things. Mm, so an inclusive space would be, you are welcome to join us the way we do things, whereas a centered space is more of a collective, um, yeah, sounds like more of a collective space. Is that is that right? Absolutely, yes. Thank, mm. you. Thank you for bringing up that, because um, when you first said inclusivity isn't enough, my interest was so piqued because I've never heard that. But hearing you explain that, I can very clearly see why being inclusive and just letting other people come to where you are is not enough. Sometimes you have to also go towards other people, not just letting them come to you. Um, I did write a blog I'm happy to share on mm. um, Pride After June. It's, it's called From Inclusion to Integration. Mm. Um, and that, that shares a little bit about um, some practices, some policies, and some ideas for how to um, you know, better take. A lot of times, also, sometimes when we say inclusion, it's like that means at Pride, I'll put a rainbow flag outside of my <laughs> church. Right. And, you know, that I don't, there's so many folks who are doing integrative work, who are doing more centered work. Um, but there's a wide spectrum of what it means to say that this is a safer space for LGBTQ plus people, um, particularly in religious institutions. And so what I have noticed as a um, queer person entering into, and I do attend different types of churches. I like to go, um, I, I like to have a, a wide practice um, when it's safe. Um, and what happens is when I go into a church to, for the first time, and I go see, you know, their, their mass or, or their practices or join a group, 
I have to do some work in my own body and my own nervous system to hold and wonder if something negative is going to happen or if someone's going to say something mm -hmm. that um, offends me, offends someone in my community, offends um, is something against how I am or how I build community or how I build families, intentioned mm -hmm. or not intentioned, but that um, is work. And so um, it's just something that... Um, that I consider, and I think a lot of LGBTQ folks have to do in additional as additional labor when we're also trying to find um, our own spiritual understandings, beliefs, rituals, and like looking for something. Mm. Thank you so much for sharing that experience of even if a church is inclusive, you still may be on edge waiting for the moment where it's not inclusive. Um, so thank you so much for sharing. I'm sure you're not alone in that. Um, what I've heard a lot of people say as religious trauma. Um, and I, oh, sorry, I didn't cut you off. There's a little lag. <laughs> no, just saying yes, absolutely. Um, you mentioned the word integration. Um, I think you said integration after inclusion. I think that is so interesting. And I love that you brought up the, the concept of Pride Month and how a lot of the times when July 1st hits, all of a sudden the rainbow flags from Target go away and <laughs> Apple starts stop selling their rainbow watches. And yeah, it's, it's a little bit ridiculous. So I love that. I would love to um, share that blog post in the show notes about integration. Thank you. Thank you. Um, and you mentioned language. And I know that you also have a blog post about gendered language. And I wondered if you could speak a little bit about that. Absolutely. So some of the work I do is on decolonizing gender, um, and it's looking mm -hmm. at the long-lasting existence of the gender binary um, in particularly American society, and just understanding that that binary that is um, between men who are identified or assigned male at birth, who identify in a masculine way, um, and women on the other side who may express themselves in a feminine way and were assigned female at birth. Um, this binary pretends that those are the only two ways that people can exist. Um, it feeds mm. into heteronormativity, saying that these um, not only are the two ways to exist, but also exist in romantic relationship to each other. And those are the mm. only ways to exist. And, you know, so a lot of the work I do is just um, helping folks to understand, one, that that actually um, still exists as a, as a system in our society that creates privileges for, for people who for whom that is true, um, understanding that that was actually brought here to this country really forcefully um, and violently and um, was part of like white supremacy as a tool here and just kind of unpacking that as we're doing a lot of anti-racist work in our country and in our, in our systems and how, in our belief systems I see as well. So just kind of holding that as well as a piece. Um, 
And so I'm sorry, you asked about language. And I'm getting all into the no, the, the no, no. Minor, but this, you know, it, the foundation for me, and I am a cisgender person. I'm, I don't identify as trans. Um, I do believe in this work for everyone. I think it's mm. really important to see and understand that um, we have, uh, like, in our society, there's still a valuing of men and of the masculine. Um, there's still a, and also that there is a preciousness around masculinity that is um, also mm. holds trappings for men and impedes their abilities to connect to their vulnerability to their emotions um, and there's a lot of um, misogyny and there's a lot of um, like disfavor of femme of the femme divine of femininity in anybody um, and I think that mm. those things are really prevalent um, I could talk at length about them in Christianity and mm. I won't here in this space but I do one of the tenets of my practice is um holding close the gospel of Mary Magdalene of really mm. looking at the Gnostic gospels and, and looking at Jesus's um feminist teachings and his adoration and connection to Mary Magdalene that was really forcefully you know removed and tried yes. to be destroyed wasn't a, isn't a part of what I think would really benefit um, Christianity and its its tenets to lasting today, which is all to say around language. Sorry, no, but no. around language. I think that those those are the larger beliefs. So language is one of the ways that we, a lot of times, not knowingly, um, continue to reinforce these ideas. And so, with our language, even just saying binary things like boys and girls, and you know, men and women, when we're talking, you know, about the people who are in a church community, if we're mm -hmm. looking at and um, the language we use for the leaders of a of a church community, if we're looking for a certain church or institution, if we're thinking about um, gendered language around even the ways we call in for support, if we're calling it um, just thinking about what it means and what values we are sharing you know, for ourselves and for maybe our children and for our community, understanding mm -hmm. how gender is at play there and the values we're assigning to them. Um, I think it's such an important part of, uh, of, of this work and creating more spaciousness. Mm, thank you. Um, I can give an example also. I know yeah. that's kind of big, but one thing I do in my own practice um, is that I, when I pray, when I call in for support, mm. I pray to gods, goddesses, non-binary spirit guides, and ancestors. Mm. Yeah. So those are the, um, when I give offerings for the Korean trans community as well, um, I want mm. folks to see themselves. Um, I want them to, I want people to be able to choose and um, what types of gendered or ungendered, um, you know, support beings, energies, entities, you know, the universe, however it is, um, I want there to be spaciousness in that. And I know that the language that I use when I'm modeling and calling in for support or when I'm encouraging folks to call in and ask for support will um, can, will resonate with folks. And I could, if I was not careful with that language, really turn people off from this thing that we both and all like need, which is to like, um, be able to feel small sometimes, be able to call in for support from something that's bigger than ourselves. And so language is such a huge part of even just such a small thing. Mm, thank you for that example. That was perfect. Um, and I often, 
Um, I'm myself not Christian, although I'm, I see the value in a lot of Christianity. Um, but one thing that wasn't really suited for me was that it was so male oriented and that we always prayed to a man. Um, and that never seemed to resonate with me personally. So I, I really appreciate that you do offer you offer us all to pray or to ask for guidance and support in, in unity, like you would maybe in a traditional church, but we don't always have to pray to the same source. And I love that that's an option that you give people. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you. Um, and I, I love that you mentioned Mary Magdalene. It was maybe this time last year when we were in quarantine and I went on a rabbit hole of the internet <laughs> that I found that she had a gospel that was removed and that she wasn't the uh, like whore that we all thought she was or that we're all taught she was. So I love that you incorporate her in your practice. I think that's really beautiful. Thank you. That's been so healing and important for me and my own personal yeah, understanding. And I think it's valuable for everyone to like learn a little bit around expansive ideas around Christianity, just because our, our society, U.S. society is so Christian based, um, even even if you're not in any way connected to Christianity, we're still can also feel a little bit of the pains. Um, or are still connected to Christianity as a as a system, and so that I have found even with folks who don't have a Christian practice but are living in America um, or in a Christian like flavored government, it can be really healing to look at um, some of these more expansive views. Mm, of course. Um, and you mentioned the Femme Divine a couple of times in the beginning and then just recently. Um, so I was wondering if you could talk just a little bit about that. Sure. It's a big part of my practice. I, yeah, I mentioned a little bit just kind of how I was raised and growing up. And for me, mm. having, um, yeah, just always learning about witches. There, there's actually a book called um, Witches, Sluts, and Feminists. And it, it looks at um, just powerful women or like sexually empowered women over time and the way that they've been viewed or named in society. Um, and for me, that is always been a part of something that I held and, and noticed as part of my spiritual practice. I, I assume I was supposed to be learning during my lessons, like, be afraid, um, mm. like, <laughs> my brain, who I am, um, as my own, you know, queer, lesbian, magical human, um, was only learning like, wow, there is power here. Mm. There's magic here. There is the ability to cha make change here. Um, even if you look at the story of Eve, you know, her, I actually went to a like um, affirming church uh, monastery cer ceremony where someone, a priest actually was talking about a reimagined, even just saying like, it's not mm. a bad thing that she wanted to learn more um, and to bring that learning to her partner and she was able to create this world where we now instead of just blindly doing what was told or what we're told like we get to decide like how we live our lives and if we move towards you know things that are better or worse for us and for society and that's not a bad thing yes so that to me is sort of the essence um 
part of it is just yeah. understanding um, that there have been incredible, um, powerful, spiritual uh, guides who are women. And I think that that is really hidden in most, um, in many religions and particularly in Christian religion. And so finding those stories, unearthing that history, finding those folks is really important. Like I mentioned, like with Mary Magdalene, um, but also for me, femme divine practice isn't always about gender. Um, it's also for me, understanding the beauty and the powerful um, aspects of our gentleness, of our own mm -hmm. vulnerability, of our ability to connect um, to to source, to beliefs, to higher powers through our own body and our own intuition. Um, and that is um, all part of my femme divine practice that I that I both practice for myself and that I offer. Mm, thank you for that. Um, I think that maybe it's about two years ago when I first started hearing the terms divine masculine and feminine, and then the concept that we have feminine and masculine energies. Um, and someone told me it's not about gender it's about like the energy of like what you said being gentle and compassionate and so I think that's so special that you um clarified that for us so thank you so much um and I love what you said about Eve um I had just listened to a podcast with Glennon Doyle and she was saying how in the traditional way that we view that story, Eve like comes and she just ruins everything. <laughs> and she like comes from a man and then like she ruins all of suffering <laughs> for the rest of us forever. Um, but really it was beautiful because she had desires and she had curiosity and she was in touch with nature and in touch with herself. Um, so I'm so glad that you brought that up as well. Absolutely. I think that's so important. I was absolutely taught as a kid, like that is why your periods will hurt when you hurt. Like I, I was I was from old, old school Catholic, old school, small town Catholic. I, they probably don't even say this stuff now in that same church, hopefully. Um, but absolutely. And I think it's, you know, unlearning that, that stuff. I also do like comprehensive sex ed advocacy and support. Um, as part of my consulting work and as part of my teaching. And that to me is absolutely related to all of this, to spirituality. Mm -hmm. So much of um, the homophobia in um, many institutional religions is, is a larger fear of, of sex, of desire, of um, self-agency around um, sexual connections, you know, that, of which homophobia, I believe, falls underneath. Mm -hmm. And... I think it's really important in any like spiritual practice or community that I build that there is and that I am a part of as a, um, a as a queer adult is just understanding that really addressing um, the sex negativity in our society mm. in our systems and and really trying to combine and connect um, these things that we're that can often be thought of as so separate. Um, but to me, like our sexuality, our desire, our connection to our bodies, our connection to other people, our ability to connect to the divine through our connection to ourselves, through our connection and our body connection with others, like all of those things are really related for me. Um, and that's part of what, I, what a centered approach to, um, to, to queer and trans inclusive spirituality. Mm. Have you ever read the book Sex God by... It's, I think, Rob Bell. 
No. Oh, I really, I love him. He's a Christian, but he comes at it with this whole new lens and he'll take parts of the Bible and say what people have generally taught it to be and then what it really means, which is so special. Uh, but he talks about how um, sex is spiritual and other things can be sexual too, like our connection with nature and our connection to our friends. Um, and it's just about exchanging part of your life with another. And that's what I thought of when you said that last piece that you said. Yeah, absolutely. I'll say um, Adrian Marie Brown's pleasure activism is sort of my mm. Bible of uh, <laughs> sexual spiritual activist community um, tenants. And, and I also, believe in the beauty of the expansiveness for connection that I see when I talk also about like centering um, queer and trans experiences, I believe within the LGBTQ plus community um, in contrast to some like normative quote unquote mainstream or heteronormative spaces, um, there is a lot more space in my community and my connections for a variety of different types of connections that it's more um, likely in like LGBTQ plus communities for there to be conversations around non-monogamy, for there to be um, understandings of asexual and aromantic people and connections, for there to be really beautiful, intimate, um, non-sexual relationships or romantic relationships that um, turn into intimate friendships. There's just a lot of play and a lot of space for um, mm -hmm. the honoring of so many different types of connections. And so when I want to bring a spiritual lens to that work and to this community and talk about, um, you know, having sex positive um, spaces and shame-free spaces, I want to really mm -hmm. center that as, um, our, as the experience of connection. Mm, that's so beautiful. And you mentioned that you do comprehensive sexual education advocacy. Um, so what does that look like? So I, when I was professionally and nationally working on um, LGBTQ plus sex ed advocacy, I was also like the point person for sexual health mm. advocacy. And so I, I was a part of, I did a lot of um, workshops at national sex ed conventions. I also uh, was served on um, advisory boards for the National Sexual Health Coalition and um, the LEAP project, which focused on um, the leadership of adolescent sexual health and tried to push forward comprehensive sex ed policies in all of the 50 states. Um, and I've just spoken about and um, done a lot of workshops on what LGBTQ inclusive and comprehensive sex ed is. Um, and that I think what a lot of times there's a lot of movement in um, sex ed um, in general, trying to make it more relevant to young people, trying to make it more comprehensive. And there's mm -hmm. a lot of work needed to be done that continues to be done. Um, and I think it is often related to religion. You do find um, spaces that are more um, politically, religiously influenced to have mm -hmm. um, uh, harder time passing policies that are uh, comprehensive sex ed inclusive and never mind LGBTQ inclusive. So mm. I've worked in a lot of realms around that, um, but currently in my practice, I offer a um, one hour virtual workshop for LGBTQ for youth, um, for all youth that is um, on kind of how to build comprehensive um, 
relationships in, a, in an expansive way. So how to build queer and trans affirming connections and relationships and how to hold space for um, young people, um, all young people um, who are thinking about, um, the, again, the connection to their bodies, their identities, and who they might be interested in relation being in relationship with and what types of relationships that might be. Mm, wow, thank you, Bex. You do so much important work. It's, uh, it's an honor to be able to do this. Yeah, thank you so much. Um, we're getting close to the top of the hour, so I'll go ahead and ask you those four questions that I ask all of my lovely guests. Um, and the first one, and I love, I love these questions because I love hearing you speak to yourself in this way. But anyways, I'll get into it. <laughs> um, my first question is, what would you tell your younger self knowing all that you know today? This question is precious. Um, to be honest, like I, it is so wild to think about my younger self. It was such a hard, hard one journey to be alive as a queer adult in this world. And um, I didn't have mentors, I didn't have, I, I didn't grow up seeing anyone as an adult who I could identify with, any adult who was living a life that I would want to live. And that's really hard. And I think that's a really shared experience for a lot of um, folks in the LGBTQ communities. So I'll just admit, like, it was really, it's a, it's a great question. And um, I love the idea of being able to, like, hop back to little me, you know, <laughs> someone who does have community, who is able to be myself, mm -hmm. like in all of these ways that I didn't imagine possible. But what I would say I, uh, is just like, keep your hope, you know, keep your, keep your faith, telling them that um, it's okay to outgrow a community and not to keep yourself small in order to fit in and just to keep like listening to your own intuition and building your own practices and that you'll find or build the community. And what do you hope to learn from your future self? Um, I would love to learn how to say no, how mm. to build boundaries. Um, and I'm so curious to learn like what I look and feel like when I have um, more of this foundation when I do have other folks that I'm in community with in a spiritual way, in a grounded way. Um, and so I, I've just, I've spent so much of my adult life fighting um, and advocating. And I'm, I love the idea of learning from my older self, patience and peace. Yeah. Oh, beautiful. And how do you connect with your higher self? I am big on grounding rituals. Um, I have an altar that is called um, my my grandparents and um, mm. on both sides. And I uh, every morning give them incense and bring them water and um, mm. start my day just calling in for their guidance and thanking them for being with me. 
Um, and that is a big part of just like having that support gives me the freedom to connect to the non-scarcity model, the non-anxious model of myself. Um, and I do, I love this idea of higher self. I, I actually am, am big in higher self meditation. So I have like a mm. grounding ritual where I um, actually picture my highest myself in my that form for me it's like on a beach and in, mm. in and yeah. um I try to like I meditate and imagine myself kind of going up to that version of me and just like hugging her and just like bringing her yeah. to like bring my vibrations up to her and mm. so that's like a, a practice I also have oh that's beautiful and the last one is, what does empowered spirituality mean to you? I love that. I think for me, um, empowered spirituality is just having spiritual practices and ritual that are based on my own intuition and mm -hmm. rituals that are part of me and my culture and my very ping pong varied um all <laughs> over the place experience in this world yeah. one that can fit me and where I grow and just a curiosity to keep me continually learning and growing and building you know with myself and with others mm, thank you and what you do with House of Our Queer and in general that feels to me like the definition of empowered spirituality Oh, I'm so honored you'd say that. Of course. <laughs> um, is there anything else that you would like to add before we go? I think we covered, let me just look at, I guess one thing I would um, just say is like in doing this work and I, again, I just appreciate being on this podcast and having this chance to share. And I guess if there are like LGBTQ folks who are listening or if someone who's listening as like a queer or trans person in their life um, and they're thinking like, oh, that of course they don't have anything to do with spirituality. Of course they don't want to come to church or of course, you know, whatever it is like, if you've been holding this idea that there are religious and spiritual people on one side and there are LGBTQ folks on the other side and that there isn't a bridge and there isn't a need um, just to kind of to reach out or to point them to House of Our Queer or to engage in them in conversation because, you know, queer folks, like all humans, like we want to know we're not alone. We want to know we're on this planet and like doing this life thing right you know as right as we can like I think it's it's really shared as a human experience to want to have some type of spiritual and ritual and core and so and just yeah we'll kind of send that out as a as a prayer into the world as a calling into this space and um uh I guess yeah we'll just kind of end with Mm, thank you. And where can people find you and work with you? Uh, so, yeah, the easiest way to find me is on Instagram at House of Our Queer. Um, and I also have a website, xmalee.com. And so that's another way to find out some of the work that I do. If you are, I will also say, yeah, if folks are in kind of a religious institution or a group or working in an office uh, and would like yeah. to um, just think about or have a conversation or a consult around ways that it could be more inclusive, um, they can find me there. 
Awesome. Thank you so much, Bex. It was an honor to meet you and to see you. Thank you. This has been so lovely. Really appreciate it. It can be challenging to find a community of supportive people to share in our spiritual journeys with. We all need support and love no matter where we are on our personal journeys. So I am excited to announce that I have created the space for just that. In the Empowered Spirituality community, you will receive a weekly video lesson, weekly journaling prompts, access to an additional guided meditation every week, monthly group meetings and teachings via Zoom, and access to a loving and supportive online community. Additionally, all members will receive 20% off of all of their coaching sessions. You can follow the link in the show notes for this community offer or visit patreon.com slash empowered spirituality.